Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. So our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. Um, so toward the right half of the Bible, near the end. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there, there should be one in the pew right in front of you. And you can find our reading on page 1009. So this might seem like a little bit of a strange Christmas morning passage, but just stick with me. Um, Hopefully it'll make sense before we're done. So Hebrews 12, and we're going to read verses 18 to 29, like I said, on page 1009. And if you wouldn't mind, in honor of God's holy word that's such a precious gift to us, would you stand with me and I'll read and you can follow along. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right, so during this Advent season, um, we've been working through a series entitled, We Are Pilgrims. Maybe that sounds weird to some of you, and I'm not talking about, you know, the first people like at Plymouth Rock. I'm talking about sojourners, people that don't quite feel at home in a place. They're leaving one place and heading someplace else. So the whole point of the series is that we live between the first coming, Advent, Advent just means coming, The first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Everything that we do is between those two points. And so we've been doing this, looking at this theme, through the last several chapters of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is full of truth that points back to what Jesus did in his first coming and how important that is for how we live today. And also it is full of promises of the future. When he comes back a second time to set the world to rights and make everything new. So 
even if you're not a Christian, you might resonate with this feeling of being kind of displaced, being a pilgrim. Um, maybe you've never totally quite felt at home in this world. Some people don't even feel at home in their own skin. C.S. Lewis of the uh, Chronicles of Narnia fame once wrote, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So again, if you're visiting this Sunday, please, it's not no problem to be jumping in here. I hope it's not a problem by the end, to be jumping in here at the end of this, near the end of this series. Um, the message, even though it focuses on a section at the end of this book of Hebrews, you might not be familiar with the Bible. Hopefully it will make sense on its own before we're done. Because here's the main point of the message. It's pretty simple, actually. Christmas invites you to draw near to God because God has first drawn near to us. It's actually what Christmas is all about. So as we jump into this, I guess I'd like you to think a little bit with me. How do you approach God? How do you relate to God? And again, you might be visiting and you might not even believe in God, but if there were a God, how would you relate to him? What, what do you think he would be like? So do you relate to God or approach God as if the law is the main kind of glue of your relationship? I got to keep the Ten Commandments or else. Or if I do a better job of keeping the rules, I feel closer to God. When I have a bad day or a bad week, I feel farther away. If, if that's the way you relate to God, then you're probably not going to draw near very much. And even if you do, drawing near is probably going to be something that you do only when it's necessary, not because you actually want to. You'll probably only approach God when things are really bad. You know, kind of like foxhole faith, when the bullets are flying, everybody's praying. Right? And when you do, you probably be a little concerned maybe at how he'll respond. I mean, is he mad at me? Was it something I did? I must have really ticked him off. I mean, I think there's all kinds of religious and even non religious people that know this dynamic. It's why superstition, even in our post enlightenment scientific age, is prevalent. It's why lots of people do the good things that they do. Because people fear this divine reprisal. Even if they don't believe in a God, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe they're agnostic, maybe there's a power out there, and I, I just don't want to get on his bad side. So we hope to please God into not ruining our life, but blessing it, at least by our definition. That's why lots of people pray. They hope to kind of placate the deity. And sometimes this approach even comes with some kind of a sacrifice, maybe a charitable donation or religious deeds or the promise to do one, hoping that it will please him and draw down some help or blessing or protection. Some people do it by relying on the mediation of another human being. They hope that some priest can put in a good word for them or say a prayer for them, or maybe they can ask some of their religious family members to do the same. But maybe you... you if you're in this boat, maybe you're a little gun-shy. I mean, if there's a holy, unapproachable, all-powerful deity, you know, this God in the Old Testament that seems scary, like he just wants to zap people, how are you going to approach him? Do you cower when it comes to approaching God? Do you prefer to keep your distance? Maybe you don't think you're worthy. Maybe you think God's a little unpredictable, a little volatile. 
Well, Christmas and certainly the book of Hebrews as it tells us about the first coming of Jesus is all about what is God like? God is drawing near to us in Christ so that we can draw near to him. So let's just see a few ways that this book emphasizes this theme. Flip back to Hebrews chapter 2. So when I say chapter 2, that's the big number in the Bible, and then the verses are the little numbers. So Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Here's one of the reasons for the first coming of Jesus, the advent, the first advent of Jesus, incarnation. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood. That's the baby in the manger. That's the incarnation. Why did he do this? So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Have you ever been aware of your fear of death and how much it affects you? Well, Jesus came to set you free from that. Look down at verse 18. He himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Look at verse 17. He had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to, to absorb the just wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. He had to be made like us. If he's going to beat death, if he's going to conquer death, he has to die. And if he's going to die, he's got to take on flesh and blood and become killable. Can you imagine that the God of the universe, the God that created everything, became vulnerable? So what's this God like? If you're going to approach him, what's he like? This is amazing. So no wonder if you flip ahead to Hebrews 4.14, We don't need human earthly priests. We've got the great high priest. That's Jesus. He's the one that mediates for us. Look at Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what's God like? Can I approach him? He drew near to us so that we could draw near to him. He sent his son. The son took on our flesh and blood, our weakness. He was tempted like we are just so that we would be able to draw near and find his throne, not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace, so that we could find mercy and grace to help us in our need. One more, Hebrews chapter 10. Again, this is all about the character of God. Who's, what's he like? Look at what he is like. He's incredibly kind and merciful. And Jesus proved it. He showed us. It's what Christmas is all about. So Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, namely the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, his flesh was torn 
so that we could have access to God, peace with God. Okay, our sin separates us from God, and Jesus' death in our place unites us to God, reconciles us to God if we trust him. So since we have confidence to approach, do you see that in verse 19? By the new and living way that Jesus opened, by his death, and since we have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So again, this is the character of God. This is what he's like. So can we approach this God? Absolutely. Christmas invites us to draw near to God because God has drawn near to us and made it possible to draw near to him. So Jesus did all that was necessary for us to have this confident access to God, to atone for our sins, to have peace with God, to be his beloved children, to have this bright and unshakable future. So Christmas invites us to follow Jesus. He shines light on the path. And so where does he lead us? Well, first we're going to see where he doesn't lead us, and then we're going to see where he does lead us. And this passage is almost like a map, you know, like if you go to the mall and you have no idea where that store is that you're looking for, you want to find the little dot that says, you are here. Okay, so first it's, you are not here. This is where Jesus does not lead us. And then secondly, you are here. So first, where he does not lead us. Look at verse 18. This is the passage I read earlier. So Hebrews chapter 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a literal mountain. This is talking about Sinai, Mount Sinai in the Old Testament when God brought his people out of Egypt and he took them to Sinai, Mount Sinai, and he gave them the law. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So God showed up. He came down at Mount Sinai, and his presence was so terrifying, he's so holy, that they had to kind of rope off the mountain. You don't want to mess with this God. He's a consuming fire. Even if an animal gets close, he's going to be toast. So you can't get too close. So they had been delivered out of Egypt God redeemed them. They were heading to the promised land. They were like pilgrims, just like this series we're talking about. And Moses was the mediator. He was the leader. But it was intimidating when God showed up. His presence shook the mountain. The people were trembling. It says these very things back in Exodus. You can look at it in chapter 19 and 20, which is right where the Ten Commandments is given. So at one point, the people say, Okay, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They were just scared to death because it was so intimidating, this consuming fire that descended on the mountain, and they were afraid to approach. So God's holiness is terrifying. He's this consuming fire. His people were unholy. They're sinful, so they're afraid to get close. He'd burn them up. They needed a mediator. 
they could not approach with confidence. So Moses is the mediator. He's the go-between, but he was just a man. He wasn't their savior. He couldn't atone for their sins. And even the law, even the sacrificial system that God gave them back then, ultimately was only symbolic and provisional. They ultimately and we ultimately needed a better, greater Moses, a better mediator who could give us confidence to approach God. So that's why Jesus came. And because Jesus came, because of Christmas, we don't have to come to him like the Israelites did at Mount Sinai, fearing that we'll be consumed. We don't have to shrink back in fear from God. We don't have to cower. We don't have to be unsure of him, how he'll react. That's not what you've come to. Instead, Jesus is leading us. If you're trusting Jesus, here is where he's brought us. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, this, this is kind of a description then of what it's like to be a Christian, where Jesus leads you. So in a sense, it, it functions like an invitation. This is a good place Jesus leads us to. So not to a mountain, a literal one, that's you know, shaking and quaking, but second point, he leads us here to a different mountain. Verse 22. It's really good news. This is just a thrilling description, even if maybe this for some of you is kind of an obscure text. This is pretty sweet stuff. So you have not come to what may be touched, this you know, Old Testament, Old Covenant, you know, law relationship with God. No, through Jesus, we've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's where Jesus leads us. That's what Christmas is all about. So this world is just this chaotic, crazy mess. It's fallen apart. I mean, there's so many wonderful things, but it's always tainted with the brokenness and the violence and the injustice and entropy reigns. The city of man is a mess. Violence, injustice, corruption, hypocrisy, false promises, disappointments, and on and on. It's so shakable down here. We're so fragile down here. Everything's so uncertain. But God drew near to us in Christ so that we could draw near to Him. He didn't remain aloof up in heaven, like unwilling to get His hands dirty in our broken, dark, dirty world down here. He entered in into a smelly, dirty stable. He took on our flesh and blood. He was tempted like we are. He suffered like we do. He willingly gave Himself as a sacrifice in our place for our sins so that we can draw near to God with a clean conscience. So, do you see there, you can kind of track this by going backwards up through these verses. The blood of Abel, what does that blood say? It cries out for vindication. It cries out for vengeance, really. He was murdered by his brother. Who's going to right that wrong? 
It cries out for God to mete out justice and right that wrong. Well, the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word because his blood cries out not against us, but for us. Cries out that there's forgiveness and cleansing for repentant sinners so that we can draw near with confidence and have a mediator. It's a new covenant in his blood. So we draw near, we come to Jesus. And God, the judge of all, is no longer a threat. He is for us. We're justified by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Our names, if we're trusting in Jesus, if we're following him, we've trusted him, then our names are written in heaven. We are enrolled in heaven. The assembly of the firstborn. We've got inheritance rights. It's all ours. He owns it all. And heaven is a party. It's described like a party here. We come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Do you remember in Luke 15 where there's the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son? What happens when a sinner repents? The angels rejoice, they throw a party. There's more joy in heaven. And so, again, this is where Jesus brings us. The heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. There's the city of man that's broken, decaying. It's like a condemned house. Entropy reigns. And then there's the city of God. And our citizenship is in heaven if we're Christians, if we're trusting in Jesus. In fact, we sung it this morning. Did you hear it? Sing all ye citizens of heaven above in that Christmas carol that we sang. So God didn't remain aloof. He came down so that we could draw near with confidence to him. It's kind of like this. I know this is a spiritual reality. Obviously, this is by faith that we, we come to this. But here's the thing. It's like we've gotten engaged. If you're a Christian, it's like you've gotten engaged to the most wonderful person in the universe, and we're approaching the wedding day. It's already ours. The promise is already ours. And we can't wait to experience it in fullness. So we journey on like happy pilgrims, and we're willing to endure the wait because of what is at the end. So... We're not home yet, but our citizenship is already there. And we're happily heading home. So Jesus came, drawing near to us so that we can draw near to him. Now by faith, we walk by faith, and then one day, one day by sight when he returns the second advent. So Jesus came, first advent, to bring us here, to this place, to the new city of God. And so if you're a Christian, that's where you are we're a part of this party in heaven already. It's this festal gathering. So in a sense, I think here at Christmas, we should look around and see where we are. If you are lonely, look around and see where Jesus has brought you. He's given you citizenship in heaven. You are not alone. He's with you. And your future is radiantly bright with perfect, loving community forever. If you're suffering, it's not going to last forever. You have a living hope. If you're depressed, 
Joy comes in the morning. It's coming. So we can draw near now with confidence. I mean, who wouldn't want to be here if this is where Jesus brings us? This is a beautiful description. Why wouldn't you want to be there? It's a foretaste of eternal pleasure at God's right hand. So this is the character of God. Why would we hang back? Why would we run away in fear? Why would we walk away just shrugging our shoulders in disinterest or indifference? So the whole point of this book and the whole point of Christmas is if you've been drifting, if you've been a bit reluctant to draw near to God, maybe because you've screwed up or maybe because you've let the worries and cares of the world just kind of steal your focus, well, on this Christmas morning where we celebrate God drawing near to us through Christ, we can draw near and be strengthened by His grace and His love and His mercy and His patience. And then if you're not a Christian, it's an invitation. Don't you want to join this party? Don't you want to have a hope that goes beyond this life? I mean, do you really believe you're just going to be worm food? Eternity is in our hearts. Like everything cries out against death. We long for something that's substantial, a hope that's substantial, and only Jesus can give it. He only can set us free from our fear of death and give us this kind of hope, an eternal home. So this is really, it should be an offer we can't refuse, but sadly, it is most certainly an offer that you can refuse. People do it all the time, just like Esau, which if you look up just a few verses, you see there in chapter 12, in verse 15, remember him? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is unholy like Esau, verse 16, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So there's all these great promises. Jesus came, God drew near to us so that we could draw near to him, so that he could give us all of this grace, all of these promises. And you know what? You can just yawn and turn away. You can refuse, just like Esau. I mean, why would you fail to obtain the grace of God? Why would you need to be told, don't fail to obtain the grace of God, this free, amazing, wonderful gift? Well, because we're all prone to trade a bowl of soup for our soul. Bowl of soup, in quotes. Esau gave up this substantial inheritance for a bowl of stew, and we're in danger of doing the very same thing. And it can be the most mundane things that are our undoing. C.S. Lewis, again, he said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. We so easily choose petty, fleeting pleasures over knowing God, the one who made every lawful pleasure and even our capacity for pleasure. So, there is a sober warning. There's an amazing promise here, but there's a sober warning. He loves us too much to be indifferent to our spiritually suicidal tendencies, and he threatens terrible things if we will not be happy in him. If we basically tell him to shove off. So that's why there's calls in the Bible like this. My people, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
why would you turn away from the fountain of living waters and try to slake your thirst at the bottom of a rusty cistern? But that's what it's like when you turn away from God. And so God, he's so mercifully, so gracious, he comes and he says, come on, everyone who thirsts, Isaiah 55, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. This is free. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. So he warns us, see to it, this is verse 25 back in Hebrews 12, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Those people in in the wilderness, they refused and they fell in the wilderness and they're a cautionary tale to us. God is speaking here. We shouldn't stand far off. We shouldn't stick our fingers in our ears. We shouldn't refuse to listen. We should welcome this word and draw near. So there was this earthquake. You see it in verse 25. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So, there was an earthquake back there at Sinai, but there is a greater earthquake coming. The big one. (laughs) And I'm not talking about the San Andreas fault line. It's when Jesus returns and shakes everything and everything that's rejecting him as king, everyone is shaken and they will be judged, those who've refused him. But it's because he's going to make all things new and this new heavens and new earth will come down So you don't want to miss out on the eternal festivities. We need to welcome the Word of God, especially the Word made flesh here on Christmas morning to save us from death and judgment. Jesus took that judgment for us so that we could have these promises, this eternal life. So He drew near to us so that we can draw near to Him. And then finally, therefore... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So if he's done all of this for us, if we already are enrolled in heaven, we should be so grateful this morning. No matter what we're going through, ultimately, those promises can't be shaken away from us. They are totally secure. And so we can be grateful that we have received. It's a gift. It's not something we've earned. We can be grateful for receiving this gift, and we should praise God with this acceptable worship because rather than consuming us because we've broken the law, Jesus was consumed for us so that we could be brought near. So let's do just this as we close. We're going to offer to God an acceptable worship by singing Joy to the World, which 
speaks of some of these very themes as we close. So let's pray, and then we'll sing that song and be, be done. Oh God, I pray that our view of who you are would be not just kind of the result of our own imagination, but that we would listen and welcome your word as you've revealed yourself to us. That we would see how incredibly merciful and kind you are, that you have done everything to draw near to us so that we could draw near to you. And I pray that we would do that with confidence, not in ourselves, but in Jesus who made a way for us to be reconciled to you. And not just not just reconciled to you for this moment, but enrolled in heaven and given a future that is radiantly bright, the best is yet to come, and nothing can shake us loose from that secure place. So I pray that we would be grateful and that we would offer grateful, joyful worship to you because of what you have given to us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.